What's up, everybody? Hope you're having a great day out there. Today's guest is Larry Joya, and I am so excited to be introducing him to you. Larry has an absolutely amazing energy before. I hope it comes across in the episode, but he's really a guy that if you can find the time to meet him in person, you have to make that happen. Before we recorded, Larry and I got lunch together, and it was one of the fastest hours of my life because we were just completely enthralled in a a great conversation. No one has done more for me in terms of connecting me with other people, happily promoting the work that I'm doing, just really living by his personal mantra, which is always be connecting. He'll tell you more about that in the episode, but he has an awesome challenge for you guys. He is just just an amazing guy, and I'm, I'm glad that I can now count him as one of my friends. Um, before we jump into that, though, I need to remind everyone that if you can subscribe to the podcast and also be sure to give us a rating and a review on iTunes. Uh, we are working really hard to get on the new and noteworthy section of the iTunes podcast library. Um, every rating, every review helps. Um, as those come in, I'm going to be reading them off at the end of some episodes, thanking the people who do take that 15, 30 seconds out of their day to help me out and really make sure that the Going Deep podcast gets off the ground and continues to to be here for you guys. So without further ado, Larry Joya. so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me. This is fantastic. Uh, before we get going, I have to acknowledge that you were actually ready to record this last week. Uh, Larry drove all the way out to my house, showed up, and I had all my gear set up, except I realized at the last possible moment that one of the wires connecting my audio box to my computer was lost. I left it at a previous meeting, so... Larry, Larry came all the way out there and uh, agreed to still record the podcast with me. So we're at his house, kind of returned the favor and came, came to him this time. And he actually just showed me a really interesting little gadget here by the name of Alexa. Um, that's kind of freaking me out. It's like Siri for your house. Uh, tell me, tell, us, tell everyone a little bit sure about that. I'm not sure what you meant by that question. Uh-oh. There's, there's, there's Alexa. So, yeah, every time we say her name, uh, it is Amazon Echo. Amazon Echo is a new piece of technology from Amazon that essentially becomes a virtual assistant. It becomes a means to kind of ask questions and get answers. It's always connected to the internet. It's kind of creepy to some degree, (laughs) but you can ask questions. You can have it play music for you, and it's something new, and I've been beta testing this now for a couple weeks, and it's been uh, been pretty cool so far, and it definitely has a creep-out factor for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. We asked it to play some music for us. We asked it the weather. I'm sure there's a lot of other capabilities, but I guess that's 
you know, people have kind of different mindsets when it comes to embracing technology. Early adopters, people who kind of want to go after the first wave has blazed the trail, people who are resistant to embracing the new technologies. Where would you say you fall in that in that realm? Yeah, so if I think about that, uh, that spectrum of early adopters to all the way bleeding edge and kind of, you know, late adopters, um, I'm definitely not... I would say bleeding edge by any means because there's so many things out there. So I'm at the time to look at all and play with them as much as I'd like to. I'm definitely probably more towards the uh, definitely early adopters, uh, if you will. Love seeing things before they come out to the extent that we can, like this is an example. It's so it's so important to understand kind of what's coming, especially for my work as a consultant, but also just, you know, in my interest in tech and how technology is shaping our lives and going to be uh, you know, very influential in everything we do. So. Definitely an early adopter for many things, but definitely not uh, bleeding edge yet. Absolutely. I think if, if you are anywhere in the entrepreneurial realm of things, you have to be at the very least aware of the evolution of technology that's going on outside of you. We start to kind of jump into your many entrepreneurial pursuits. Uh, kind of the baby, your, your passion project is really uh, Dynamic Paddlers. Um, so you want to tell everyone a little bit about just what Dynamic Paddlers is and uh, how you came up with the idea? Sure. So uh, take a departure from tech here for a second, Aaron. Um, Dynamic Paddlers is uh, is actually it's interesting. I'll give you the backstory of how it came about. Um, one of my passions, as you alluded to, is is paddling and kayaking. Uh, I've been a flat water kayaker, open water sea kayaker for the better part of 10 years now. Just a great departure from getting out of work and just being in the outdoors and enjoying water, right? And so kind of the evolution of that was I started doing some teaching, started doing some instructing and getting some people outside and helping people kind of understand all the different things that are to do with kayaking and the place you can go. As a part of that and, you know, kind of fell in my lap is uh, I was introduced to a young man named Evan uh, in Chicago. Evan, uh, I met him at the Chicago Boat Show. I was doing some instruction there. Evan was a really cool kid, like many kids who were very eager to get in kayaks and go paddle around. There was a lot of kids in the pool that day, um, and it was a great day, but one of the things that really caught my attention about Evan that you wouldn't have otherwise noticed if you really paid close attention was that Evan actually paddles with one arm. And he paddles with one arm because he was born with uh, half of a limb. And that was pretty eye-opening to me. Uh, as well as it was for everybody else there as well, uh, in so much as there's this 11-year-old kid, not scared of anything, given his, in this case, disability, was just getting at it, right? And he was just loving life, and he was loving what he was doing, and I was absolutely blown away by this kid's passion and energy, and for something that I, just as an able-bodied paddler, um, using two arms, and, and just and, and paddling, I was just blown away by this kid's enthusiasm. And so... Your question is what Dynamic Paddlers is. And so this kid really opened my eyes to this world of disability, this world of adaptive sports and recreation, of which I didn't even know what to call it. I didn't know what is this stuff, right? And so all that for this fast forward is I really became interested in understanding kind of what adaptive sports were about. I come to find out there's a lot going on here in Pittsburgh with adaptive sports. There's a lot going on in the United States. And if you think about the the upper echelon or the... the uh, milestone, if you will, in this, this world is the Paralympics, right? That being said, I come to find out there's not much going on with adaptive kayaking here in Pittsburgh. And I said, wow, this is really a great opportunity. We're this, we live in the city of rivers, we're the city of bridges. And 
let's bring this to Pittsburgh. And so Dynamic Paddlers, all that for this, Dynamic Paddlers is a, a paddling school. It's a, I do it on the side, right? I have a full-time job, but Dynamic Paddlers is a paddling school here in Pittsburgh. We work with people of all abilities and ages. Um, it's not just for people with disabilities, but we specialize people with disabilities, all abilities, literally. And it's all about adapting, just as you go with anything. But we adapt every, every situation for every client. We have the equipment now, which is fantastic. Half boats will travel, and we have a really great time getting to meet people and getting people outside and doing things they wouldn't have otherwise thought they could do. One of the things that's most interesting and captivating for me is experiencing other people with passions regardless of in what realm uh, that passion exists. And really starting, you know, you said 10 years ago you started the kayaking, and then we jumped to where you were at this boat show showing people how to paddle. Did you Was kayaking something that immediately gripped you as, I have to be doing more of this, it was almost you know, an out-of-body experience, or did it gradually develop? Um, and then is that passion something that you still feel with the same vigor, maybe even more now? Yeah, I, I think it was, it's interesting because people always ask, so you must have always, you must have been a Boy Scout, <laughs> right? You're always into the outdoors and you love being outside. And the answer to that is actually, no, I, I really wasn't into the outdoors at all. Uh, interesting story. If my brother's going to listen to the podcast, he'll enjoy this one. I didn't know much about kayaking at all, and my brother said, hey, come with me. i got this new tandem kayak. Uh, I want you to come on the Yakagini River with me. I said, well, that's crazy. Me and you, two big guys in a kayak, we're going to sink this thing. And we almost did. <laughs> um, but we uh, ended up making it down the Yakagini River and had a really good time, and it was that was kind of a catalyst for me that, hey, this is a pretty cool sport. right? So it was less about having a passion and more about an interest. I think as anybody, yourself and your listeners, you know, you don't know it's a passion until you really kind of dig into it and you really find out what it's all about, right? And that's kind of what happened to me uh, in so much as, hey, this thing's a hobby. It was fun. You know, part of the things I love to do amongst many things is just build communities and teach, right, and share my interests, right? And so I did that, right? So it's like, hey, this one outing with my brother it was a good time. Went a few more times. I ended up buying a kayak. Ended up going paddling around town. Got involved with Venture Outdoors. Started teaching, doing these kind of things. And then I think the tipping point for me was, was like, hey, I love doing this stuff. And then I was like, how can I really put this to play when I met Evan? And then met this amazing community uh, around us here, which is saying, wow, I can do what I love to do, which is really a hobby. Something I love is getting outside of work and doing, and I can make an impact in the process. I'm really passionate about this now, if you can't tell, um, for that reason. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting that that passion almost led to the discovery of a new passion for you to pursue because after establishing Dynamic Paddlers, you went on to help set up the Pittsburgh Adaptive Sports Network, uh, which is a resource for different organizations in the Pittsburgh area who work in the adaptive sports realm to connect and network together. So can you tell us a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah, sure. So like many things, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but this is I have a real interest in connecting people and connecting ideas and concepts together, which maybe we'll talk a little bit about, be that as it may. So through the creation of Dynamic Paddlers, like many of your listeners and other entrepreneurs, it was about finding white space, right? And seeing what that white space is and obviously trying to fill that. And through the creation, uh, through the tackling that white space, you find the white space, I met a lot of people. And those are people of all walks of life. Those are other service providers like, like myself and Dynamic Paddlers. There are... Uh, athletes with disabilities, there are nonprofits, there are health organizations, there are 
therapeutic assisted device technology companies here in Pittsburgh. There is a wealth of resources. And what I found was that as somebody who was brand new to this from an outside perspective, I didn't really know where to go. I didn't really have a way to kind of connect with people other than just literally cold calling people, right? Or showing up at the local hand cycling event or showing up and volunteering. And that's all well and good. And that's really, you know, that's grassroots efforts, right? But what I really felt that would be great and come to find out we were learning very quickly that this is something that's needed in this area is not another organization, but essentially a connective tissue to start tying these organizations together. It's not a governing body. It's not intended to be, you know, the thumb on top of the organizations. More so than it's intended to be a means to connect the dots and be a consortium to bring together the best of all the adaptive sports organizations. Marrying that with the great things we have going on with medicine here in Pittsburgh today. Marrying that with the great things we have going on in engineering here today in Pittsburgh. So all that for this is that the Pittsburgh Adaptive Sports Network was nothing more than a kernel of an idea that was hatched with, I believe, one of our mutual friends and I think one of your other guests on your show, which is Jason Miller. So Jason runs ActivePittsburgh.com. Jason and I got together as one of those cold calls, started throwing around some ideas and kind of sharing our interest in community building and say, hey, let's try something here. And it's grassroots and we love doing it. And the Pittsburgh Adaptive Sports Network is a consortium. It is just a means to provide some resources to sort of bring the community together, not just athletes, but parents and service providers and everything in between. And it's been a lot of fun. We've met so many amazing people in the process. So as you've said, connecting and networking is another one of your passions, another thing that you're very interested in. And when you have a focus like that, sometimes the joy or the expression, the value of that is seeing two people that have to be connected actually connecting. But the kind of follow-up consequence of that that's really exciting is you know, a specific outcome that those two people or those two organizations actually produced. Do you have any examples of things that the Pittsburgh Adaptive Sports Network has produced or things that you've seen that kind of give you that inspiration, that juice to keep pushing and creating those connections? Yeah, sure. So there's a, there's a couple examples out there. One, which is very in, near and dear to me is, is that, and by the way, all of this is under the context of this is the network. This is not about something that I did. This is about putting an idea out there and letting it sprawl, right? Um, so last year, so you'd be familiar, the listeners would be familiar with the Venture Outdoors Festival, right? That's a fantastic event that the, that organization puts on Point State Park every year. Over the past few years, obviously, it's, it's grown uh, with a, a host of outdoor organizations. Last year was the first year uh, that they had an entire setup for adaptive sports and recreation organizations. So you can imagine over the years, there's been 40 plus organizations and represent the outdoors and they never had anything relative to adaptive sports. And so not because of the Pittsburgh Adaptive Sports Network, but because of the connections that we have made and connecting all of those organizations back to uh, what I believe to be, you know, a, a fantastic organization here in Pittsburgh to bring everybody outdoors. We were able to connect 35 organizations, 60 plus organizations as of last year to come to the Venture Outdoors Festival. And we had an entire section dedicated to getting the community at large, 4,000 plus people to come to Point State Park, and their, their eyes were just widened by, what is that interesting looking bike over there? Well, that's a hand cycle. 
what's the seat thing with a ski on the road? That's a monop ski. So really, that's a, I think to me is a great example of the power of the network coming together to be involved in the community. In this case, Venture Outdoors has been a fantastic job of continuing to take that. Now they will offer some programming going forward and leveraging the power of the network and all the amazing things that people are doing here in Pittsburgh. That's one example for you. That's great. So if it's not totally apparent to listeners, Larry's all about connecting. He actually has a personal mantra. Before we had this interview, we got lunch together. And he wanted to share his mantra with me, which is always be connecting the dots, ABCD. That really, I guess, you, would you call it a mo- your personal mantra or philosophy? Or <laughs> yeah. Do you have a name for it? Yeah, I don't really have a name for it other than it's, it's four simple letters. I don't know if it's a mantra, whatever it is. It's really a mindset, right? Um, and I'm not suggesting for a second that uh, people are already doing this. I think just the way of framing it with four simple letters, like how can you forget that? We all know ABCD. Always be connecting the dots. So I don't know if it's a mantra. It's just the way that everything I think about always comes back to ABCD. Yeah. And I think the real difference is it's really easy to say, well, well, I network. I always, you know, I have friends. I have colleagues. I, you know, help people meet people. But above all else, this seems to really, I, it comes with, it comes through in all your behaviors, all the projects that you end up working on. Larry was very willing to introduced me to other people to potentially interview for podcasts. He was excited about connecting me with other people that he met who are in the realm of podcasting in Pittsburgh. And this was within, this was after one meeting. I, I barely knew the guy, but within you know a couple of days, he was already thinking about my place within his network, which is, which is really inspirational for me. And I mean, has just led to making a, a greater effort to implement some of those same strategies that you're using. How did you come to this mantra or phrase or whatever we're, we're, we're calling it? Yeah, so, so first of all, thanks for that. So obviously, it's great to hear, and I'm uh, really humbled by your, your comments, so that's fantastic. You know, it's it's like like anything. You don't really, like, these things don't, you don't dream about these things. Maybe you do dream about them, and then you woke up one morning, and you're like, huh, this is kind of what this is all about. Um, I never thought about, I have to have a personal mantra. That's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to go share with anybody who will listen. That was not the way that I was approaching this. But, you know, kind of a, a roundabout way of answering the question, Aaron, is, is through my own work as a consultant, through my own work as a mentor, uh, as a coach, not just a, not a life coach, but as a, a coach for many people in their careers, uh, in their jobs, uh, in kind of in life in general, I started meeting some fascinating people, just fascinating in what they do. Everybody from, you know, marine biologists to, you know, entrepreneurs who are doing the latest mobile apps and people in the hiking community, whatever it might be, I just really got hooked on what makes people tick, (laughs) right? What makes them who they are. And what I found, this is no surprise, but if you start bringing together disparate ideas, uh, so bringing the idea, the intellectual horsepower of someone in one industry or one domain of expertise and then marrying that together with somebody else magic happens and it's not about literal magic it's about great ideas coming together right and when that happens i was just i took a step back and said wow that's pretty fascinating Um, and i was actually on the receiving end of that in a couple different capacities where i was just being connected to other people um i said wow there's a i may not always have the answer but if I can be the guy who starts to connect some of these things together and I can step back and watch the magic happen, that's pretty powerful stuff. And, um, you know, it's not about taking the credit for any ideas or anything like that. It's about just 
stepping back and watching the magic happen because when you can connect to people, real big ideas can actually come to fruition. There's a, there's actually a, um, not a mantra, but there's a, a tag, a, a saying, if you will, is, I think it's an African proverb. It goes something like this. It's pretty simple. And it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So you start thinking about how people want to go far. You can only go far together. I love that. Love that quote. And uh, so, yeah, just get it done together. And it's been awesome. And it seems like that really would have a effect that kind of boomerangs back to you eventually. So you're talking about, you know, two people in your network who come together and come with a great idea. But even inadvertently, you're going to hear about that new idea that they came with. And you're going to further be connected to other experts, other big thinkers. And I know for me, the something I'm very focused on is surrounding myself with other big thinkers, critical thinkers, contrarians, mm-hmm. people who are going to challenge me and not, I'm not saying I'm some super successful person that's surrounded with yes men, but finding the people who have their own self-confidence and brain power to challenge you on the way that you think. Um, And I know that that for me in my own life has made me someone who's not only been exposed to a diverse set of ideas, opinions, but I've also been working to still train myself to make sure my mind remains adaptable. Mm -hmm. Because one thing that I've heard just from talking uh, with you know, my parents or people from, from the, an older generation is, or maybe even just noticing this, is you can become, it's very easy to become stuck in your way of thinking, your ideas, your belief system. And the reality of our world is that it's constantly changing. It's constantly evolving. And what the herd's thinking or what most people are thinking isn't going to be right 20 years from now. Uh, have you seen your mind affected in that same way? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you get it right on the head is that there's there's so much value in looking at things from a different lens. We do get, it becomes just by the nature of, I'm only going to ask the people in my industry. I'm only going to ask the people in my domain of, in this case, kayaking or paddling or paddle sports or whatever, um, how would they approach a problem or how have they done this in the past? It's very single-threaded, right? In so much as if, if I'm going to go ask someone who's done this before in my industry, then that's not a competitive advantage or that's not differentiating. What's differentiating is to ask or take an idea from another completely off the reservation area and then adapt that, as you said. You adapt as an individual, but you adapt that idea or you adapt that concept into your own thinking. That's what differentiates products. That's what differentiates offerings. That's what differentiates us as, as individuals, right? I can tell you that the most, the most I would say, unique people that I want to talk to at the party are the people who have aren't the most smartest people, but they have the most great story. They have the most stories to tell. They have so many ways to connect just different things together. Like, I've never thought about it that way. Right. Um, so I see that all the time. I see that in my personal life. I see that professionally in my, in my work at, at PwC as a consultant. And most of my clients, by the way, are in healthcare, but they don't really care what's going on. They, they, of course they care what's going on in healthcare, but they want to know what's happening in technology trends in other industries. They want to know what the next big wave is. They're going to, they're not going to follow, but they want to know what's happening around them um, and beyond them to really understand what's happening. There. So tell us a little bit more about what you do with PwC, <laughs> the kind of consulting that you do. Yeah, consulting sure. can kind of be a... It's a, this nebulous, you're a consultant. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, so I work for PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, PwC. I'm, I'm not an accountant, as one may think, when you <laughs> typically associate PwC. Um, to my accounting brethren out there, uh, that's not a, a knock on them at all, but I work in our consulting uh, business, our advisory practice. Specifically, uh, so a director in our healthcare uh, advisory practice, specifically my background is in technology. As you heard earlier about my, my love for the Amazon products that I won't say her name because she'll wake up here and say, uh, I love playing with technology. And so a lot of my work uh, within PwC is working with large corporations, specifically healthcare clients, um, to help them think about not just emerging technologies like the thing we're just talking about here, uh, but help them think about how their systems, their enterprise architecture, to get kind of geeky for a second, how do they operate as a, how do they operate their business using technology, right? Um, and this is not, I'm not a systems implementer, I'm not a coder. I used to be in a past life. I don't sling code, and nothing wrong with that. Did that for a while, then kind of grew into the world of, uh, of understanding how technology works to impact business, the business of technology, if you will. Um, and then getting into this the world of strategy and thinking about how companies think about technology strategically. And then really been laser focused the past better part of a year now, uh, helping lead and bring to market our digital practice at PwC. So all the things we think about digital, everything's digital, right? Uh, but helping healthcare clients, specifically in the pharmaceutical space, think about how digital is really disrupting the industry uh, and how we as consumers of healthcare have a different mindset. We don't see things the way we used to, and we didn't have this thing in our in our pocket that's connected to the internet, right? We didn't have, we didn't have a much different way of thinking about sharing information and data. Well, that's all my wrist now, right? I can share that through my, my whatever, whatever device you want. So long-winded answer for, um, I really help clients, advise clients to understand kind of what technology is happening, what's happening out there, what they should be looking for, um, and putting into place actual plans for them to begin to put some of these things in play uh, over the long term. Gotcha. And that sends you all over the country the other week, you would come back from uh, Chicago, you, yeah. you do spend a lot of time outside of Pittsburgh seeing other places. How do you kind of maintain your energy? I know a lot, a lot of traveling people say that, you know, it wears you down, it can be a grind. What's your process for staying recharged, staying focused, because you're doing all these other things yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was interesting. I was, I was sharing you know, a similar story in, a, in another podcast, but about kind of how do you maintain that energy? So the short answer is yes, I travel a lot. Um, just comes with the nature of the work. Typically, there's the direct correlation between your consultants, so you must not be home much. True. Um, to, to some degree, I think I have a pretty manageable schedule, traveling two or three days a week, sometimes maybe four. Um, so, yes, I get to see the country a lot. I get to travel all over the country internationally to some, to some degree. But at the end of the day, you know, how do you do it? Everybody's going to have their own their own ways, their own tactics, if you will, for, for maintaining balance. Right? And one of my... One of my interests is, is being this, a balanced person, which is about not leaving work at work. We understand that work's going to have to bleed into, bleed into some of your, your personal life, but I, I really make it a point to keep those things separated to the extent that I can. I use the, I use the, the saying of work becomes play and play becomes work to the extent that you can do that and you can live that. That's really what I've tried to do um, in the case of paddling. That's always, that was an outlet for me. Right, so being outside and paddling, or, or just getting outside, I know you are an ultimate player, right? And that's what your outlet is. Now you're making a profession of that, which is awesome. Where you take, if you can find ways to do something completely outside of work, where you're not thinking about, you think about the world of business. There's project plans, there's deadlines, there's bosses, there's you're, you have staff, you've got managers, all those kind of things. 
find something that has nothing to do with what you do at work. <laughs> In my case, that happened to be this case battling, which I latched onto. You got to find those things. It's really, really important that you put the phone down. I, I have a very strong tendency to be living on this phone, obviously personally, with social media and everything. I'm really trying to make it a point to stay off of this to the extent that I can. We just stay too connected. So this notion of unplugging, right? You have to unplug every once in a while. Otherwise, you'll get so bogged down and just always being connected. I, I'm an absolute cul culprit of that. <laughs> As somebody who has a device in my house, it's always listening to everything that I say when I, when I wake her up. <laughs> uh, but I'm really trying to do that. And I think it's really important that people disconnect and, and make it a point to reflect and just take a step back and refresh yourself uh, to the extent that you can and not think about it. Absolutely. One, one thing that I found is my first year playing professional type frisbee, there's a different feel to the season. I don't want to just say straight out it's work now and it's not fun, but it, there's a different feel when it's a professional endeavor versus something you're doing purely for the love of the sport, the activity, the game. Have you felt that similar feeling with Dynamic Paddlers when kayaking moved from an outlet, a hobby, to a part of your professional portfolio? And what do you do when you, how do, how do you overcome that feeling, I guess? Yeah, so it's, short answer is absolutely. <laughs> Just like you, when you're going to the championship game, it's like, hey, we, we have a, there's something at stake here. There's, there's our team that all the hard work we put into to training for this, the championship or the travel of the country and represent Pittsburgh, right? Uh, the same thing holds true with, with any, any business, whether that turns from a, you know, a, you know, avocation to vocation, so on and so forth. In the case of Dynamic Paddlers, it was a, I have people's, this is not a sport that, you know, again, we're not like running whitewater here, right? But there's still inherent risk and there's inherent danger associated with any one of these things. Um, you add additional complexity and you start thinking about disability and you start thinking about all the things that comes with that, um, that you have to be accounted for. So essentially, I'm not taking people's lives in my hands, but I'm taking people's lives in my hands that I'm accountable for them. And there's a tipping point there where it's, this isn't a hobby anymore, <laughs> right? It's like, we can go out and have a good time. We're buddies. Let's just go paddling. But of course, I'm still going to, I still have a, a, a conscious decision in terms of what we do from a risk management perspective, right? So it, there's definitely a point where this became like, I have clients now, right? They are, they're a set of, they're paying for services. Um, I have to make sure that, you know, by not just laws and regulations and insurance and all the things that come with this is that I have to have a product which is safe. I have to have a product which is, that is reputable, that I have put a reputation behind them, putting my own reputation behind them, putting financial reputation behind all those kind of things. So the short answer is yeah. So absolutely it became a tipping point. And it's been a good lesson. I've learned a lot along the way is that when there's definitely a point when you, you realize this is no longer a hobby, we have to make this real. And you start getting into the business aspect of things and we have to incorporate, we have to make this real, we have to get insurance, we have to, you know, take this to the next level uh, and you have to be committed, right? I think for the, your folks listening, those who are either starting new companies or obviously find their passions, whatever it might be, be very conscious that, that uh, and make that, make that conscious decision of whether you cross the chasm, if you will, to make it real or not. Absolutely. Now, when you're pursuing these, uh, uh, starting a project like Dynamic Paddlers or dealing with all this stuff, do you have a mentor or a coach or mentors or coaches that you go to regularly with your big questions when you're wrestling with 
maybe a negative feeling or an obstacle that's come up in one of your one of your endeavors? Yeah. So the short answer to that one is yes. Um, and, I, and like Smirkman, you caught yourself there. So that there's no one person. Right? Of course, everybody's got their go-to mentor. Getting back to what's earlier, you just surround yourself with people who are like-minded or thinking differently, and you surround yourself with them, and they are all go-tos, right? I have no, I probably could say I have no shortage of people that I could call on, for sure. But at the end of the day, when it comes to business, and it comes to thinking about, you know, what does this mean from a personal perspective, it has to be my dad, right? And so he's, there's kind of like the sage advice. Right, so as a businessman himself, you know, thinking about, he doesn't know the first thing about kayaking, but he knows a lot about business, knows a lot about, hey, you know, risk. Are you thinking about this the right way? Are you thinking about what this could be? You know, saying, hey, are you sure that this is going to grow as fast as you think it is? Or, by the way, you're probably getting in too deep because it's going to grow faster than you thought it did. That actually happened to be the case. I didn't believe him. <laughs> um, so the short answer to that is, yeah. So I go to my, I go to my, my dad, right, and my brother, definitely from legal advice and that kind of stuff. But there's, there's a cadre of people that I've surrounded myself with that I feel very comfortable approaching. And it comes back to what you said earlier is that when you start connecting people, they're going to start calling on you. And it, I feel very, very good about being able to go back to them. And it's, you know, these meeting of the minds that you can have openly with people and just share ideas. There's a symbiotic relationship there and people will happily take your advice. And so long as you can give them some advice back. So. Absolutely. That, I have a funny story about that. My dad. You know, thinks in a very similar way. He has his collection of, I'd say almost a collection of specialists in different areas. And uh, we had, without going into too much detail, on a, a youth team that I was on for Frisbee, there was an issue with some people stealing some merchandise. And he called his buddy who worked in the FBI for 30 <laughs> years and said, how do I... Well, how do I deal with the situation? How do I get the truth from all these kids? And just gave him like this high level interview techniques and he just tore through the entire team, <laughs> got got down to the truth of everything. And it was, uh, you know, luckily I, I didn't have any part in it. So it was, I was more of a, a casual observer to it all. But, you know, being able to take and sample the expertise of someone else mm -hmm. and implement it into whatever it is that you're doing and knowing, you know, I have this problem, who would be that right person to give me the advice or the perspective that I, I need to solve this, uh, solve this problem is incredibly valuable. I lost my chance. Well, no, let me build on that for a second, okay. right? Because I think, so people, I think there's a misconception that, oh, I don't want to ask for, for his or her advice. They're busy people. Everybody's busy. But it actually, the person who's, getting, who's being asked feels pretty good. Usually, yeah, they're busy. Okay, yeah, I got a lot of things in my plate. But hey, hey, this person trusts my opinion. This person, you know, they, they believe what I'm saying. So yeah, I'm going to take the time to give you some advice. I'm going to take the time to give you some thoughts and perspective. So don't be afraid to ask. I think that's one of the things that the people starting out their careers, uh, whether that's in business or technology or I mean, whatever you're going to go into, is they're afraid to ask, and you really got to be open to asking questions, and that's that's how you, that's just how you learn, but that's how you meet people, that's how you figure out where the experts are, is uh, asking questions and just having a very open mind. Absolutely, I think there's kind of that um, black and white side of asking, where say there's no such thing as a bad question or a dumb question, and then there's the other side of people that say, well, you can't ask a stupid question, or you can look stupid for asking that question. And I think the truth is really somewhere in between there is 
if you find the right person, if you, you know, have a plan for, I need to get this information, how can I, you know, access the right people to answer these questions? Because there's so many ways to do it. You can go call the person on the phone. It can be someone in your network. You can go find that person on the internet. You can go find that answer in Google Answers. And really having strategies in place to get your questions answered. Because the reality is, as much as your dad or your brother love you and mm -hmm. want to help you when you need advice, if you called him five times a day right. asking, you know, what pair of underwear should I put on, that wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> well, I don't ask him that question, but I do call him five times a day. That's not a lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, yes, I do call him five times a day. But he answers the phone every time. That's awesome. Absolutely. So it's also just, you know, having clear lines of communication, clear expectations then in place. If I, I'd imagine if I started doing that, I don't, I don't call my dad five times a day. I, that's uh, maybe something I should be working on. But uh, if I started doing that, he'd be like, what's going on? Like, this is completely yeah. out of the blue. So it's also the, that behavior and that habit that starts to grow where the lines of communication are open. And even if it's someone in your network that you do not have the constant contact with. I know I have friends where maybe I haven't talked to them in a little while, but when I do, it's we pick up right where we left off, or you know, it's it's there's still that you know willingness to connect and share information. Do you have any strategies for you know with such a network maintaining those relationships and you know kind of those more far off connections, kind of keeping those in place? Yeah, so this is a great question. <laughs> There's a, there's no secret to this either, and there's obviously there's quite a bit of science behind this, uh, which I don't claim to be an expert. Um, don't quote me on this number, but I think there's someone down the street at Carnegie Mellon probably has this answer. I think maybe it's David Prackhart who does in the Power of Networks. But you can only possibly leverage up, I think it's up to 150 people in your immediate network. Maybe it's smaller than that, whatever, right? But at the end of the day, keeping in touch as you've articulated is really, really important. And so how do I do that? So I leverage, look, it's the world we live in. I, I, we live in a social world and a connected world, as much as I hate to admit that I'm always on my phone. A lot of that time is spent sharing content. <laughs> um, one very specific example is that if I see a news article or if I see a piece of content that I think you can be, of someone I haven't talked to in a long time, I just send it off. I just send it to them and say, hey, saw this, was thinking about you. you know, nothing more than that. That's easy to do in the society we live in, in the connected world that we live in. It's very easy to take a LinkedIn article and hit the share button and tweet it out and tag four people who you think might be interested. It takes all of 10 seconds to do. Um, I do a lot of sharing of contents, the first kind of tactic. The second thing uh, is just picking up the phone. Let's go back old school for a second here, right? Old school, quote unquote. Pick up the phone and call somebody. People, yeah, they're busy. Again, it comes back to asking questions. And people, you haven't heard from someone in a while? It's good to hear people's voices, right? I just did this the other day with one of my personal mentors. I actually do have a few besides my father and my brother. But I haven't talked to her in about seven months. She's actually been on a book tour. She's been all over the world. I know she's been busy. Um, but uh, I said, hey, I haven't talked to Saj in a while. So I picked up the phone while I'm walking to the airport. It wasn't even like a dedicated thing. It was like, I'm going to call her and just see how she's doing and see what's new. And we ended up talking for 45 minutes. Pick up the phone. Use your voice. We have a voice for a reason, so, so use it is the second probably the second tactic that I would use, if you will. Yeah, those are probably the two that I use on a more much regular basis. The, the the first of which is is just sharing content. And as you think about people, share things with them. At the end of the day, it all comes back to just being top of mind for people, right? 
being top of mind. Don't always have to be the person they call, but if they think about you, they think about what you do, hey, this could interest, interest them, uh, just send it. I think that's really a skill that I think a lot of people in kind of millennial generation have to think a little bit more deeply about because I think a lot of people tell themselves or think that, you know, I'm really building relationships or staying close to people just by sending a text. Yeah. But an email is probably better. You know, an email with a, a drawn out thought is better than a text. And a phone call is probably better than an email. And an in-person meeting is probably better. Or maybe FaceTime after phone and then in-person after FaceTime. However, we, we, could, we could fill in yeah. a bunch of dots in yeah. between there. But that's something that as I was making the transition from my call from college into the professional world, really, you know, was something that both my parents reinforced to me. They said, you know, don't be the person who's just always sending emails out. Be the person that you know, the other person's hearing your voice on the phone, seeing you in person, because that's, you know, fundamentally how we connect with other people. You know, there's some podcasts out there that do, uh, do the recordings over the phone through Skype and not knocking anyone. There's some very, very successful podcasts out there that use that strategy. But so far, my goal has really been to try to get in front of all my guests whether I'm in their living room yeah, or they're you coming. You made it real, room. man. You're in my house. This it's, is awesome. <laughs> yeah. But but for me, there's there's so much more I feel like there's so much more energy in the conversation when I can look you in the eyes and read your body language and drink your glass of water. <laughs> um, and I think that really comes through in anything that you're doing. If you're asking for help, if you're trying to land a client, if you're trying to get a colleague to hop on board with your project. If you're, you know, trying to get something done at school, if you're still in school, I know when I was, you know, captaining the team at Pitt, I was the the most productive, sometimes most exhausting, the most productive leadership decisions were made when we were all in the same room together. And that was hard. Everyone has different schedules. It can be difficult to make that happen. But when we start filling up an email chain and I have to like try to scroll back and remember what someone wrote specifically two days ago, that becomes exhausting. It doesn't, I can't really hear the inflection that they're putting on a certain point. And even the best writer, you know, one of our captains was a writer and he say, I love being in the room with him as, as great as he is at writing an email. I love being in the room with him, hearing what he has to say, you know, really feeling, is he passionate about this? Is he just kind of playing with this idea? There's so much more that comes from those in-person conversations. You can nail it, right? Let's go back to basics. We're humans. We, we interact. We can see facial expressions. We can see um, all the things that you mentioned. Uh, there's a lot of power in, in being able to physically sit next to somebody and have conversations and make decisions. But as, as we know, and the, the world that we live in is just so connected that we try to, you know, um, say kind of mask those things because we can use you know, we can we can tweet and we can text and we can things. So we can still get there's a time and a place to use those things. But at the end of the day, if you really want to get stuff done, there's a ton of value as you said in, in doing it face to face or doing it so you can actually see the person. Uh, I agree. So we're gonna wrap up here with w- one quick question, and then we're gonna hit the uh, personal challenge that we're gonna hit the audience with. Okay. <laughs> um, the one quick question: If you could get uh, drink with any three people, oh, dead geez. or alive, 
have a conversation with them over your drink of choice or their drink of choice, who would they be and why? So who would they be? You didn't ask me what they were going to drink because I was going to say I don't, I don't have the answer to that. All right. So in no particular order. So I did give this some thought, but, you know, you constantly waver because three is a small number. There's a ton of people that want to meet. Yeah. Um, so let's start with the first one. Uh, this may be a little cliche. He's alive, very well alive. You probably see him in the headlines all the time. This is Richard Branson. Yeah. All right. So, excuse me, Sir Richard Branson. As he's, as if he's listening, uh, he'd probably get a little kick if I said that. But uh, why? Uh, so he goes without saying. You look at all the things that that uh, he and his team are doing, uh, not just for Virgin and all. Now he's moving into hotels and he's going to space, and um, that's all well and good. But actually, there's a very personal reason why I want to meet him. And bringing this back earlier to ABCD, um, I don't know if I told you this or not, but supposedly, supposedly, Sir Richard Branson came up with ABCD first, which I don't believe, because I didn't steal it from him. I actually woke up one morning and thought of that. Be that as it may, I would love to sit down with him, sitting down with you, and say, where did that come from? Why, what, where, what came up in your mind when you thought of ABCD? Because I thought of it too, and clearly we were on the same wavelength, and I would love to just pick his brain about kind of how he does the things that he does and why he's so passionate about connecting the dots as well. So Richard, Sir Richard Branson is probably the first one on a personal level relative to my own you know, personal mantra and, and mindset. The second thing in no particular order here is my, my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather, I passed away when I was about 10 years old. So I got to know him a little bit as much as a 10 year old can. Interesting about my grandfather. Um, so grew up in the 1920s, right? So the 1920s, a little while ago had no formal education, dropped out of school when he was in second grade. How old was that? It's pretty young. Had no formal education, didn't ever learn to formally read, didn't ever formally learn to write, but went and worked at a steel mill here in Pittsburgh, in the mines of Pittsburgh, and spent his whole life working in the mines. But he was really meticulous about his tool shed. <laughs> and I say that, you're like, where are you going with this? Well, he could kind of tinker with anything and figure it out. He could put a lawnmower together. He could, you know, build things. Now, as a 10-year-old, I wasn't one to judge his work, but it was pretty fascinating to me that someone without any formal education could actually think like an engineer, could think, you know, meticulously and logically. That's pretty fascinating to me. I would love to get into his head and understand. So how did you do that, <laughs> right? How did you do that? Um, I'd love to know why he answer the question of, you know, why did you not go get a formal education? Obviously, times were a bit different then, right, as you can imagine with the economy and things like that. But um, personally, personally there, you know, as my father told me, is that he just wanted to pick up the Sunday paper and look at the cartoons to laugh. He couldn't read them, right? That's that's pretty awesome to me. And and um, just want to get into his head and understand what, what made him tick. That'd be awesome. And then the last person, I think somebody we all know is, well, not we all know, but would love to know, um, would be Da Vinci. You know, of all the things that we take, not take for granted, but all the things we have around us, whether that's in medicine um, or that's astronomy or, you know, the vehicles we drive in, common engineering or modern day engineering, modern marvels, if you will, came from this guy. Or a combination of these folks, right? But Da Vinci and art and science and all the things that, that we live in today really were kind of culminated out of not one person, but thinkers like Da Vinci. One of the things that Da Vinci is quoted as saying, and I love this, and kind of tying it back to the theme of this that you've been articulating, Aaron, is about connection. And it was Da Vinci who said, so study the science of art, study the art of science, develop your senses, 
especially learn how to see. Everything is connected to everything else. Yeah. Pretty powerful, right? Absolutely. And now you bring that to everything today. So this guy was connecting medicine with engineering, with art, with all the things, everything we do is connected, right? And tying it all back to my own passion and interest in connecting everybody and everything to the extent that I possibly can, I'd love to know how he did it <laughs> and get into his head and figure out how I can do it any better. So, so there's the three people that I would uh, love to talk to. Those are, those are great. I uh, thank you so much for having such a, such a well-prepared answer to that. Uh, you, you, you did leave me with that one a little bit, but yeah. uh, those, I, I thought of the three and then let's roll with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so to wrap up here, we're going to give you the mic and you're going to issue a personal challenge to the audience. Uh, we do this every show, so we're looking forward to what you have for us. All right. So I, um, this one is, is not nearly as prepared as such, but I, I've been thinking about this one too, and it continues on the theme. Um, so my challenge to, to you, if you choose to accept it, is to this is called the two-week challenge. Let's make it the two-week challenge. Why not? Um, so you're going to spend one week, and we're talking seven days a week here, and yes, I'm asking you to work on the weekends, and by work, I mean just be human, which we'll find out in a second, is every day I want you to, or challenge you to meet, meet one, either meet one new person, or find out something about somebody you know that you did not know before, right? Um, there's many things that Aaron and I have talked about, but I don't, there's some things I don't know about you, so after this, after this podcast, I'm going to find out something about you I didn't know before that is just... Whatever that is, it can be anything. So every day you're going to meet, either meet a new person, which you find something about, or meet, or, or find out something about somebody you didn't know before. Okay, that's week one. You've got seven new ideas about people. Great. The next week, I want you to every day take every one of those seven people and connect them with one of the other seven people. So I don't know what it is. I don't know about you yet, Aaron, but let's assume it's ultimate. And in this case, I know you're, a lot, you're an ultimate professional ultimate player. I want to connect you uh, with... You know, one of my colleagues who's actually starting in a, a, a frisbee club uh, out on the west coast. He's a young guy. He's very interested in kind of this frisbee thing, but doesn't know much about it. Uh, just given your interest and your passion in doing this, you've been there, you've done that. He would love to talk to you. So my challenge is a two-week challenge. You've got seven days every day. Find something unique about somebody. The next week, figure out how you're going to connect those people every single day. Connect that and do that. I'll call it two weeks. I say I challenge you to do it every single week uh, for the rest of your life and always be connecting the dots. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that challenge, Larry. Definitely going to try to make, make a better effort of connecting others coming weeks for myself. Uh, if people want to connect with you, learn more about the stuff you work on, uh, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, so we will be putting in the show notes for detailed stuff, but yeah. they can uh, obviously find me on LinkedIn. I'm not a power user by any means, but love LinkedIn. Let's connect virtually on there or in person. On Twitter, uh, at LGIN412. Um, so I use Twitter personally to share content and share ideas. Uh, I'd love to connect on there. And let's go back to basics. Let's meet for coffee if you're in Pittsburgh, uh, wherever you might be. Uh, let's get together. Let's share ideas. Uh, let's, I'd love to, love to meet your, your, your listeners if they're here in Pittsburgh or wherever they are uh, in person. And let's... Uh, Let's make some change together. That'd be fun. It's been an awesome conversation, and thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Eric.